It is exactly 23 minutes after 7 o'clock. This is Metro FM Talk. I'm Tamin Gubeni. Joining us this evening as we take a look at some of the leading stories on the business front is Zwila Kemguni, co-founder and chief investment officer at Benguela Global Fund Managers. Baba Mguni, a very good evening to you, Baba. Good evening, Tami. Good evening to your listeners. Now, let's get straight into it. We've been talking about ESCOM and uh, the news. Well, ESCOM has really been on the news for for quite a while now, but even more so over the past few hours. And uh, moves are underway to appoint an acting ESCOM CEO. Anyone in mind? Cool. (laughs) If you guys are speculating, I don't think uh, one has gotten a clear sense of the board members, their inclination of uh, what type of leadership do they prefer? I mean, I think uh, it, it, it's very difficult to speculate, but I think, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite a difficult one. I mean, people, I don't know if people, that, that many people will be raising their hands to take up that job, uh, given how challenging it is. I mean, you almost walk into uh, a pot of fire. When you look at the ideal candidate for CEO for an SOE such as ESCOM, what are the, the, the main attributes that one should possess? I think the first thing is, uh, is not the, somebody who can take decisive action, but also somebody who understands the process of our generation. And I'm sure, I mean, uh, ESCOM has been around for many, many years. They can't tell me that they can't find some of the good candidates of people who work there, who understand power generation, who understand finances, because that's basically what it comes down to. It's, it's, it's all about uh, what is needed to generate power and put the, the tools in place on that side. On the other side, raise capital to basically fund the activities and, 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 and fix the power stations. If you find somebody with those two uh, attributes, but probably somebody who's also charming at the board level or political level, uh, you might be able to succeed in, the, in that kind of position. Is it important for one to be an engineer or at least have some sort of engineering background? <laughs> I've seen some of the engineers, uh, they fall in love with the equipment, they build forever, and I, I think... You don't necessarily need to be an engineer. I would, for example, take somebody who has a consultant into the uh, uh, engineering industry or the the power uh, production. Somebody who's seen a number of uh, 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 energy producers in the different forms and shapes, and basically who can then bring those insights to bear and, and execute. So, so I don't know. If I, I think it would be advantageous to be an engineer, uh, uh, that, that any engineer that just uh, comes from anywhere, I don't know if that would work. But if, if you are maybe an engineer that is working in this type of environment, I think it could work. But I think the personality of the person is going to be also very, very critical. If you are not able to, if you are a straight shooter, you might not make it. I mean, look at how... Uh, Andre tried to shoot straight and then uh, he was out by the morning. There has been talk, and, and we've seen this in the past before, where the CFO you know, becomes acting um, you know, CF, uh, CEO in the absence of, of the CFO. 
Is there a possibility that the current CFO would then take up the helms for the top job, at least in an acting capacity? No, I, I, I don't think it would be a bad thing uh, in the interim, but I don't know if you'd want the, the CFO of a company like ESCOM to abandon the role that they've been playing in terms of uh, shoring up the finances and now go get into the production side of the business and try and get it to to operate. I think they probably have a good understanding, but it's not the same thing as operating the, the business. You know, you, you can understand it, but the operations are quite difficult. I mean, you, you go and you find that there are screws, special screws that are needed. And, and if you don't have that background, that what is the impact of that little screw on the bigger uh, project? I mean, you, you, you struggle. So I do think that the, the CFO is a good person that maybe should be kept in that role and find somebody to complement that, that type of person. Because otherwise, you're going to have two accountants running that business. There has been talk and, and perhaps some speculation that uh, the the chair might basically end up having two roles as chair as well as uh, acting CEO in the interim. Is that likely? Sure. I, I don't know about likely. I think uh, it is possible. Uh, but would that be the right person to run this uh, business uh I don't know, maybe on an interim basis, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure if this could be the, the right person, but definitely capable as a chairperson because of uh, his experience and background, but I don't know if this is the kind of role that uh, needs your hands to be dead on a daily basis, that's the kind of role that, that would suit this, kind, this, this chairperson. I mean, if we look at Mpomakwana, he was the um, you know former non-executive director of ESCOM from 2002 to 2011. So he is somebody who actually does have some sort of institutional knowledge and a bit of background on ESCOM and, and, and how it runs. So would somebody of that caliber, you think, not actually come in, come in handy for, for ESCOM in the situation that they're in right now? I think it's an interesting perspective, Tommy, uh, but I think if you think about when you are sitting on the board versus when you are actually operating, I think the two roles are significantly different because when you are sitting on the board, the executive brings you reports and they, they prepare, you ask questions. If they can't answer them immediately, they'll go and research and bring back. So the institutional knowledge is there, but to actually operate the actual business of producing power, transmitting it, managing uh, uh, customers that, or at least overseeing the departmental heads of those divisions and, and making sure that you hold them accountable on a daily basis. I, th- I think it's quite a tall order. So not many people can actually handle that type of thing. Although he's been acting before, he has been acting CEO, but do you think just maybe the two roles together concurrently that that might just be too much? Yeah. Look, I think we could, like, if it's an interim solution, I think we could, but I don't know if 
I would vouch for him on the longer term because clearly on the basis that unless you are operational, you know, on the because you have to set up systems and processes on the that that oversee the power generation situation, where are the blind spots, what are the issues, and then you have to also set up processes on the transmission, on the collections, and, and that's what I say, at an interim level, probably could work because he's got very good oversight. But if you put him in place for the long term, yeah, I think it's going to be hard work. But I think it's very charming in terms of his relationship with the politics political side of the business, and, and that's how it should be. I mean, these are the shareholders, you need to build good relationships with them. Uh, you can't surprise them by being, uh, you know, uh, very disobedient or being openly disobedient. I mean, that, I, I think you would do very well from that front, but I don't know if you would even want to do this kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm talking from the point of being careful of the... Of the that, that part of love myself, that it is hard. I, I think it, these people are not, uh, it's not an easy position. Do you think that maybe they should look back at some of the former CEOs and, and bring one back? I would certainly discourage that kind of thing. I mean, they, they've had their chances, and I wouldn't, uh, there are stories, and you know, you, there's over a level of political uh, mudslinging that's involved uh, over the previous CEOs and what they did and what they didn't do. You really want to bring that back uh, to have as a cloud over the, the people who are in, in the business. And if I had a choice between taking the current chairman and bringing back the previous uh, uh, CEOs, I'd rather take the current chairman. That, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's quite hilarious, I must say, especially because you were quite vehemently, you know, advocating against, um, you, you know, the, the, the chairman taking on that role. So it just shows the seriousness of how you think there's too much drama, too much history. Uh, if you're not going to get a new broom to sweep clean, you might as well then get the chairman to be on, on, on both the roles. But how has business actually reacted to, to the, these news, Zwilake? The, the what? How has business reacted to the current state of affairs at ESCOM? Probably the best way to look at it is to look at what the RAND has done. I mean, uh, because the, the situation at ESCOM threatens the country's uh, growth prospects. And I, I think that if you observed yesterday when the minister was speaking, there was a bit of a strengthening in the, in the RAND. Uh, and then there was some weakness after the Fed put out the minutes, but also the fact that ESCOM seemed to suggest that there could be, we could move to higher stages of load sharing. And I think what came out of the interview from uh, under the director, I'm not sure if we'll have ESCOM uh, in a stable power generation situation over the next year. I don't feel confident, but I might just be a bit more conservative. But if we can get it to a stable uh, situation, I think we'll see the rent strengthen. We see our markets, our mining producers actually getting uh, some of the products out if we also fix the 
France-like situation because we've got a double win there. But I think it actually enable us to, to actually move forward as a country and it'd be fantastic. We have seen as well, Ake, following the, the budget speech, CEOs of Pick and Pay, of Spa and ShopRite doing something quite unprecedented. Uh, they are rival firms. They put out a joint statement and, and, and standing, for, standing up for themselves really as, as a sector. Talk to us about this. Yeah, I think they basically uh, were criticizing the decision to offer tax rebates uh, only to their producers, but not to them. Uh, and basically, the argument is that they offer to uh, move the, uh, the produce from the suppliers into their uh, warehouses and, and distribute it to their stores. And because of that, they're incurring expenses, but they're not getting the, the benefits uh, like the food manufacturers. And I think where the Minister of Finance was coming from was trying to stem inflation at the root uh, or this is the base where guys then say, you know, because we're incurring so much uh, uh, cost to provide, uh, uh, to produce, we therefore need to uh, push higher inflation. And maybe the plan was that by actually giving those rebates, the inflation could be brought under control under the food, uh, the, the food inflation could be brought under control. But certainly, it looks like the, the CEOs of Pig and Pay, Spa, and ShopRite uh, are actually also saying, you know, it's, they're also suffering. And it's true, I mean, they're also suffering from no sharing. So this tax rebate on, on the diesel use is now only applicable to food manufacturers. The three CEOs are saying the retailers need to also benefit from that uh, tax rebate. Now, ordinarily, the, the fuel levy would go to the road accident fund, right? Yes. In this instance, where are the funds being allocated to? They're going straight to energy generation. So two different destinations. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the energy generation element is probably just a ring fencing uh, strategy to say let it come back into the economy as opposed to sorting out what is the impact of road usage on society. So by the road excellent plan. Uh, so, so I certainly think that maybe it's a different approach, a different kind of thinking to say, bring it back via the channel where it can go into the economy, into production, rather than actually uh, uh, putting it via the other side. Let, let's move on now to, to Distel. Uh, they've reported revenue growth. Um, I guess good news, good news for them. Um, and they are reporting this growth literally across all of its divisions. Uh, talk to us about um, about the, about Distel and and their performance. Yeah, look, they, they they had quite a fantastic uh, uh, performance, and the, the numbers came through, as you said, uh, quite uh, a positive performance across the board. I think uh, they saw double digit uh, growth, but let us not also. Forget that they did say that uh, about 10% of their growth is volumes, and 
Remember, we had a COVID situation uh, that was in, in, into 2021, and that was the base against which they were uh, 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 comparing the 2022 number. So they did actually do well, but you could also see that uh, their operation profit margin did get squeezed a little bit because they reported revenue growth of 16%, but at the operating level, they were actually up 5% only. So there was quite a squeeze in terms of the, the cost of, of production. So they are, though, however, uh, cautioning uh, and not wanting to be too excited about this growth, citing you know issues like inflation, for example, and uh, supply chain disruptions. Okay. And yeah, I, I think they they will get the, the the inflation coming through. I think the the backdrop for inflationary increases is always positive in the sense that the, you cover around the, the syntaxes being raised, but also the current environment is actually quite inflationary, so they are actually able to push that inflation through. And I think that's probably going to be the second leg of the uplift in, in, in performance. So this year the volumes recovered against the COVID backdrop, I think the inflation would lift them up again as in 2023 as a, a key performance driver. So b- before we wrap up on uh, on Distel, they're still awaiting information or rather a verdict from the competition tribunal as far as the, the acquisition uh, of Heineken and, and the merger of that. It's already been approved by, by the shareholders when are we likely to to get some sort of news from the competition tribunal? It's probably, yeah, I, I don't know the exact timing, but I, I, I do think that it should be around the corner. I can't see it uh, stretching for longer than three months. I think they've been in this process for quite some time. I'm sure the big things is the debate or, or the, the uh, engagement around what should stay within uh, Heineken after acquisition versus what is going to be out so that the market environment is not badly impacted uh, and because that would create an inflationary environment and I think that's what the bodies like the competition uh, tribunal are there to, to address. It's like try and make sure that the market is not concentrated in the hands of the few because then they operate like a cartel they can raise prices quite aggressive. I'm, I'm going to ask you just to hold on just for one second. We'll wrap up when we return.